Welcome to the Three Questions Podcast. We take questions from our church family, do our very best to answer them from a biblical worldview. All of us have the privilege to serve the Lord's Church here locally at Southern Hills Baptist Church in Oklahoma City. Doug Melton is our lead pastor. Randy Whittall is our pastor of missions and evangelism. Jeremy Johnson is our pastor of media and community outreach. My name is Daniel Snow, and I get to be pastor of discipleship and young adults. And three ways you can turn in questions to this podcast are by texting 505-258-2076, or you can go to the website, myshbc.com slash contact, or you can email three questions podcast at myshbc.com and that's with the number three at the beginning we always keep the questions anonymous so you can just know that and we're continuing on man oh man it's good hey jeremy this is episode number 80 81 wow wonderful yeah awesome that's good stuff awesome who'd have ever thought we never thought it'd get past like three. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is pretty incredible, and we're thankful to get to do it one week at a time. That's good. And first question for today is actually a continuation from a couple of weeks ago, which, by the way, guys, we had to take a little break there. We, we had scheduling. It wasn't because of me, guys. I, just, <laughs> okay. I wanted to let you guys Jeremy know. was totally clean on this deal. Uh, had a few scheduling issues, so we are glad to be back. And so this is a continuation. A couple of weeks ago, we had started talking about the tabernacle and the temple. And the question was, what can we learn from the elements and layout of the Old Testament tabernacle temple? And to give it enough time, we we put it to today. So, Randy, we're going to throw this over at you. Yeah, and, and Daniel, we I think you and I should add that we've helped Randy with Absolutely. this answer. Oh, yeah, we've, yeah. Of course. we've told him what to say yeah, and then absolutely. just wanted him to articulate. We wanted him to, I mean, he, since he's getting ready to head out of, you know, head out of the country, actually, we wanted to give him a chance to shine, you know, I once, so once thankful. in a while. I'm so thankful for the chance. I, you know, I barely ever get to share on this <laughs> Three Questions podcast, <laughs> so it's nice to get a little bit of airtime here. Just throw you, throw you a bone. Randy, you've been in a part of Israel before where you've seen a, a replica. That's ex, that, that a is full correct. scale. That is correct. In fact, to anybody who ever gets a chance to go on a trip to the Holy Lands, I would encourage you. Now it's a it's a way south. It goes further south than most traditional tours do, but it's down in a park in southern Israel called Timna Park, down by Elat, which is the southernmost tip of the country. Hmm. Uh, but my understanding is that this replica was actually built in Germany by hmm. by a group of scholars, and then uh, Baptists purchased it and uh, and received permission from the Israeli Parks authorities to set it up in hmm. Timna Park. Now, Timna Park is also the area that traditionally is the site of Solomon's mines, Sol- wow. King Solomon's copper mines. So it's a really desert area. I mean, boy, you get down there and you really understand... That 40 years in the wilderness was no walk in the park. It <laughs> wow. was a tough place. And uh, and so there's a, a full-size replica down there that is still to this day managed by Baptists, and, and uh, tours are given. Uh, I think uh, I may not have the numbers exactly right, but it's somewhere in the neighborhood of 1,500 tourists a month uh, hmm. go through it. And, uh, and it is built 
two specifications. And so side note, while we were living there one time, um, the uh, tabernacle, a windstorm damaged the roof of it. Hmm. So we had to repair it. And so I got to be one of a four-man crew that went down there to repair it. And so I'm sitting on top of the tabernacle and we're stretching this new tarp over the top, but it's not quite fitting right. And so I'm sitting on top of it, holding it so the wind doesn't take it out, take it off again, while the guys are down below trying to figure out how we're going to anchor this thing down. So I'm just sitting up there holding it. And all of a sudden, out of the corner of my eye, I see movement over in the rocks. And it's just rocky, rocky ground. Yeah. And as I look over there, I watch and I sit real still. And pretty soon I see quail running from rock to rock. They're going from shadow to shadow. And as soon as they hit one of those shadows, it's like they just disappear. You wow. can't see them. And I just thought, how cool is that? I'm sitting on the tabernacle <laughs> in southern Israel watching quail run through the desert. And yeah. I just thought, this is awesome. So and they were just enough for that day. They were just enough yeah, for that day. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, you could not. You have a bag limit. It's, there's no, you, don't get to, you don't get to storm up. Only Randy would be sitting on top of the temple. It's just, <laughs> it's just great. Yeah, a, that's a pretty unique place. It was to, very to unique. Sit. So yeah, yeah, that is definitely a once in a lifetime opportunity. But uh, wow! But if you ever do get a chance to go tour it, it is well worth the trip. Not only to see that, but to tour the area of what was believed to have been some of Solomon's copper mines, hmm. and just to see that whole area of the Negev and that that wilderness of Zin where they wandered it. It really gives you a whole new respect for folks who lived out in that area for 40 years. Wow. That's and good. for the Lord who took care of them. So in that replica of the tabernacle, are there steps leading up to it? Is that, talk, take us through. Okay. So, so it is, uh, as, as you guys remember, the tabernacle was, the design was given by God to Moses. And then he, all manner, in fact, I think we've even done a three questions podcast on this about how arts plays into oh, worship. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. all manner of artisan took had part in, you know, everything from seamstresses to goldsmiths to stonemasons. Everybody uh, were able to to be a part of, of the design of the of the tabernacle because it was all mobile. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, another great facet of it was each of the tribes was responsible for the movement of different parts, the teardown and the, and the breakdown. In fact, if you go back and read in Exodus 40, you know, when they first set it up, you know, it talks about after it was all put together and all the sockets and all the poles and everything was stretched, everything was where it should be, and Moses led the people to pray, then it says that the glory of God descended on the tabernacle and filled it as a cloud by day and by fire by night. But then every time the cloud lifted, that was that was their notice. It's time to pack it up and mm -hmm. follow the, the pillar of cloud or the pillar of fire to the next place, which, interestingly enough, as you read through Exodus and, and, uh, and, and through the rest of the, of the Torah, they moved 42 times. There were 42 stops from, uh, from leaving Egypt to Cades Barnea where they, where they were camped and they sent the spies in. Uh, and so, um, and so it was really an interesting thing that they moved all of those times, which corresponds to the 42 generations in the lineage of, of Jesus. Wow. Uh, you know, so there mm -hmm. were 42 genealogical stops between Adam and, 
and and the Messiah and 42 stops from the Passover to the the promised land. So I thought that that's hmm. kind of a neat uh, a neat thing. But the design of the tabernacle, you know, has so much symbolism to it. Uh, you know, of course, there's an outer court that is uh, that is separated off by hanging linens and then you've got the altar. Of course, as you walk in, it's a holy place. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so the altar of course represents the the where the sacrifice is made for for atonement, uh, which obviously we see the symbolism of the fact that no, you know inside you have to kind of look at it and think okay the the goal the the ultimate is that what's hmm. right smack in the middle is that holy of holies yeah. which is where the ark of the covenant was was kept the the mercy, mercy seat. seat above the ark where which represented to them the very presence of god where mm-hmm. god was enthroned uh and and met with his people. And that Holy of Holies even then was a 20 cubit by 20 cubit by 20 cubit, which I think is just, you know, here you've almost got a Trinitarian representation just in the fact that it's a perfect cube mm-hmm. and no light. You know, there's a thick veil all around it. So it is in darkness except yeah. for the light given off by the presence of God hmm. himself, uh, yeah. which is which is a very neat concept. So. If the idea is that's where you're trying to get to, mm-hmm. well, then the symbolism obviously is nobody's getting there short of sacrifice. Right. You know, uh, Leviticus 17 tells us, you know, I've given you the blood and the life is in the blood and I've given it to you as an atonement for sins. And then later Hebrews is going to say without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. So that altar, you know, right from the very beginning, God was painting this image of you we as human beings, mm-hmm. we as sinful men are never, never going to be on our own able to get to the Holy of Holies, to the presence of God. It's going to take sacrifice. And that sacrifice is something outside of ourselves, Those that pure, uh, unblemished lamb, mm-hmm. which was repeatedly sacrificed in the Old Testament, but then ultimately Christ fulfilled as the one sacrifice for all time for, for all men. And then the laver where where they would symbolically wash following the slaughtering or the sacrifice of the animals. So that a whole idea of purity, sacrifice, purity, and then you enter into that that court, that outer that uh, first court before the holy of holies, where there would be a a, a table of showbread, mm-hmm. a lampstand, the menorah that burned with prepared oils, and then an altar of incense. And of course we look back at that and see that altar of incense representing the prayers of the saints as, as incense, the burning of incense often does in the Bible representing the, the prayers of saints, mm-hmm. the, the menorah, you know, later Jesus is going to say, I am the light of the world. Yeah. Uh, and it was a six, a, it was a seven armed, six arms, and then a servant candle in the middle, <laughs> which I think, you know, kind of represents the, the seven as a holy number and, and the specifically the six and one. You know, mm-hmm. six days of creation, one day of rest, and and uh, and so it's a very neat thing. And that middle candle you said is called the servant candle. Yes, and especially and now most of what most we see in stores or in windows is actually not a menorah. It's a because if you count, it's going to have eight candles mm-hmm. in a servant candle, a ninth servant candle, uh, and that's what's called a Hanukkah. That's used for the celebration of Hanukkah, mm-hmm. which is something very 
different from the 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 representative the menorah mm-hmm. of the uh, that God specifically gave Moses really clear uh, guidelines on what it was to be made of and how it was to be fashioned. Uh, but all of these things then had to be broken down when the when the cloud of uh, lifted and they knew. Every and they knew it was time to go. Of course, the Levites had the job of moving the ark, mm. and of course, no met nobody could touch it. It had rings on the side and poles that would be fed through the rings, and then hoisted. And I, I mean, I can't imagine how much that weighed. But these guys would throw it up on their shoulders and off they'd go and mm. walking through the desert. And then another group would come down and take the outer coverings off and fold them up. And then another group would was responsible for the very outside. Uh, the sockets, the ropes, the the poles. So very, it was just a neat way of looking back and seeing that whole representation of God's people working in community, each with a job to share. Later on, you know, Paul's going to use that imagery of a body, that mm-hmm. the church is like a body and each part completes a function, but no part is really superior to the, to the rest. And, yeah. and uh, so it's just a there's just so much of the symbolism in the tabernacle. And then, of course, later on, the temple that's built by, again, very specific instructions. And that's the part I really like. I like the fact that God didn't just say, build a place to worship. Mm-hmm. It was, I mean, it yeah. was it was <laughs> super, super detailed. Mm-hmm. And, and nothing was to be left out, nothing was to be exaggerated, and nothing was to be compromised on. It was to be built exactly to specifications. And I just, I find that, I don't know, I find that comforting in God that he, he does not leave, he does not leave eternal things up for us to create or to imagine or do our own way. He is, his word is precise. It's clear. It's perfect. It is, it tells us exactly what God expects of us, what he hopes for us, why he created us. And, and I like the fact that God doesn't just leave it to our imaginations or make it where anybody can say, well, that's your truth. Well, no, mm-hmm. there's not a your truth, my truth. There's God's truth. And that is the only truth. Yeah. Man, that's good. Yeah. So in a sense, we <clears throat> could we say that all parts of the tabernacle and later the temple are pointing at Jesus in one way or another, Absolutely. foreshadowing. Absolutely. It's all foreshadowing Jesus. It's foreshadowing. And then, I mean, the, the, the structure of the tabernacle itself and the temple as well, you know, foreshadow Jesus. But then it also, as a big picture, it foreshadows this idea of a people of God who serve mm-hmm. God, who have purpose in serving God, each with a function. You know, later on in the temple, there's actually going to be a court of the Gentiles yeah. in front of the temple yeah. in Jerusalem, where where non-Jews could come and worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and and Jacob. There's mm-hmm. going to be a court of women. Mm-hmm. I mean, my goodness, we're, that was. That was unheard way of. before, yeah. yeah, unheard of. Women were almost like, you know, and they, they were not given much consideration at all in society mm-hmm. at that time. And yet God wants a court of women, a court of Gentiles. Uh, and so it's, you know, you see that inclusiveness of God inviting all peoples, all nations, all tribes, all tongues to, to be a part of, of worshiping him. 
It's so. good. Wow, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that's today's podcast. Yeah. So there we go. I'm glad we uh, held it off for today. Yeah. Well, it's a it's it's a great study and I would encourage anybody who's never done one just to take some time to just go through that. Look at the way God designed that. Read through those chapters of uh, of how specific he was about, you know, not just dimensions, but what materials to use and who was to be responsible for doing everything and then and and just realize that no matter who you are, what what your level of education, skill, maturity in the Christ, every one of us has a purpose and a function in in Christ's church. We all have a kingdom function, a kingdom role to fulfill and uh and and God wants us to be able to to know what that is and to be able to do it with with joy. Okay. All right. Question number 2. Should communion be restricted to believers alone and why or why not? And kind of the the longer, larger context of this question is this person knows someone who believes that both non-believers and believers alike should participate primarily because uh, this friend views the Lord's Supper as the same as the Passover meal in the Old Testament. And so they're just asking this question. Yeah. You know, first of all, let's, let's go back to why... Uh, Jesus instituted this this supper at all, and and it's because it is a picture of the death, burial, and the or the death and the resurrection. Uh, mm-hmm. Specifically, whenever we take the blood or take the cup, we're showing a picture of what Jesus was going to do on the cross. That He would shed His blood. The bread is obviously symbolic of His body that would be given for us. Uh, whenever we actually take the bread into our mouth and chew it, we're giving a picture that his body was crushed mm-hmm. uh, for us. Um, and and so and then he reminded us, I won't do this again until I do it with you in yeah. heaven, participate with you in heaven. Okay. So it is for those whose faith is in the one who gave his life for us. It's for those who are looking forward to the return of Jesus Christ. That's what the supper was designed for. And so that's why I believe that the Lord's Supper is indeed intended only for those whose faith is in Jesus Christ, because that's the whole point of the supper. It's showing a picture of his de- His body, his blood, that was given for us, and so it is only for those then who have put their faith in his death, his sacrifice yeah. for the forgiveness of our sins. Yeah. In First Corinthians chapter 11, first, well, there's a big section on the Lord's Supper, but even verse 18, Paul says, For in the first place, when you come together as a church, and and then he goes on to talk about the Lord's Supper, and and the whole issue is the church, the believers, and how they're to take part and participate in it. And and even though it's not a Bible word, the word communion, the reason we refer to it sometimes that way, is it's the idea is this is for those who are part of the community of the body of Christ. And uh, and so when we when we do participate in that, we don't believe that it should be open communion as in open to believers or non-believers. We also don't believe it should be 
totally closed communion in the sense of only members of this church, uh, we would say, and, and just the term I've heard it, it referred to is close communion, as in all true believers that are present here today can take part. And, and so, and, and obviously it's an honor system. We're not, there's not some, some sort of, uh, yeah, it, we're, we're just asking everybody on the honor system, all true believers who are here today, please participate. We encourage you to participate, examine your heart first and participate. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, it's important when, when Daniel uses the phrase honor system, please understand that it's not honor between you and me. Yeah. That's you need to make sure you're examining yourself before the Lord mm-hmm. because the Lord does know our heart. And, uh, and so, yeah. So when Daniel says that, please know that uh, we are trusting if you're partaking, I, I trust that you do know him as Savior, but please know I don't know your heart, but the Lord right. does. And so, man, we just should never participate if we are not a follower of Jesus Christ, because I'm eating and drinking judgment, condemnation on myself. Yeah. I'm portraying a picture in front of everyone that I'm a believer. And if I'm really not, uh, boy, I'm, I'm bringing judgment down on me. Yeah. And I would even, going back to this, uh, the questioner's professor that was sharing with that, even if we go back and look at the Old Testament reference to the Passover, um, if you go back to Exodus chapter 12, where Moses is giving the laws regarding the Passover, he said, the Passover, this is a night to be observed for the Lord. Mm-hmm. It's not just, it wasn't an open meal. This was a communion night or a night for the Lord, a remembrance night. And he even says, this is the ordinance of the Passover, Passover. no foreigner is to eat of it. Mm. And so the Passover wasn't open to anyone either. It was a remembrance of the fact that these are people who were told, if you walk, if you go into the house and you put this blood, you, you know, this sacrifice, and you shed the, put this blood on your doorpost, God will protect you. I mean, it was a it was an act of faith yeah. to be a part of the Passover. And so I think uh, I, I think we're we're you're you're both right. I agree with both of you on that. I believe the Lord's Supper is for those who have who have placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, who are trusting in God's salvation and not just for, for anyone. And Jesus said, this, this is the new test. This is the new covenant in my blood. Like, again, it's just, it's all pointing to the fact that this is about those who are participants of the new covenant. Those, those who are believers. Now, one quick distinction, we're not at all saying that a non-Christian can't be present Correct. And watch. In fact, we welcome that. Um, but to we would not encourage a non-believer to participate for their own good, really. Agreed. Yeah. So yeah, and and we try to make, I think here in our church family, try to make that as clear as possible. We want you to be here. Yeah. But please, it's okay. Don't participate. No one's gonna think less of you. Mm-hmm. Just pass it on. And and um and, and we have fa- young families mm-hmm. that have children there, and thankfully those children are getting to watch what their parents or maybe older siblings, siblings are doing. And, and that's a healthy thing. It, it is, mm-hmm. absolutely. You're not, you're not hurting that child at all by saying, honey, this is something maybe you don't fully understand right now what we're doing, but 
Yeah. We're praying that someday you will understand mm-hmm. and will participate. That's good. We preach the Lord's death until he comes. Amen. That's right. It's good. That's Pretty good. cool. Okay. Third question, and this is a fun personal question, and it is, I would love to hear each of your favorite places you've been on mission teams. Jeremy, what is it? Ecuador. I love Ecuador. Uh, that was one of my favorite trips. Spain. And then I love uh, Give Kids the World in Orlando. I'm going to go with Cambodia because it was my first time to get to be on an international trip. And Daniel, Daniel and I were together on that trip, and I just remember the uh, the Khmer people. Uh, the Khmer people are some of the most uh, kind. Yeah. I remember yeah. a tenderness about them. And uh, and an openness. You remember they didn't they didn't want us to be put to shame at all. So right. you had to be very careful sometimes because they they didn't want us to lose face right. when we shared with them. But just a very kind hearted people. Mm-hmm. That's really good. As I would say, beautiful uh, Vietnam, North Vietnam trip where that was some of the most beautiful country I've ever seen in my life. That was uh, that was an amazing trip responsiveness i've loved what to seeing what god's been doing in senegal here lately how god's mm-hmm. just been opening hearts and, and planting churches and an unreached people group and so those those two really stand out to me yeah kind of book of acts yeah stuff exactly in senegal for me life-changing wise would probably be when i was an eighth grader getting to go down um to mexico actually right on the border, um, Laredo and Nuevo Laredo, um, and it just it just really opened my eyes to the work of God amongst people from different cultures and different languages, and that that's His desire, and that was a big deal for me as an eighth grade kid, and and also getting to experience that experience it with my friends and some of our youth leaders, and just man, it was just really a big deal, and then and then and. In college, getting to go to Cambodia at two different times, again, just it really set the tone for me for really the rest of my life. So, I know Doug said that that was his favorite with you, but he also told me the same thing <laughs> at one point. So, I just wanted to get that out there to you folks. So, Doug loves empanadas. <laughs> I got to be on the Ecuador trip with okay. Jeremy and Courtney, and close second. Close second to Cambodia. <laughs> I'll take it. Okay. <laughs> He's got many favorites. Right. Many favorites. Okay. And let me remind folks, 2023, we have, I think it's 16 mission trips mm. available. And uh, World Missions Week starts this Sunday. Wednesday will be our missions fair, which is a great opportunity to ask as many questions as you want about some of the, the trips next year and how you can be a part and be involved and get signed up on a list. So hopefully every one of our folks can be a part of a mission trip. That's awesome. Okay. Thanks so much to Jeremy Johnson for producing this podcast. Thank you guys. The crowd is loving it. Thanks you guys for listening wherever you are, making the time. If it's helpful, know that you can subscribe, you can rate, you can share, and that maybe that would help someone else as well. And until next time, please remember that the God of the Bible is never surprised or offended by our honest questions.